Welcome to Lady Killers, a podcast about female serial killers. I am your host, Abraham Archambo. Let's go dig up some bodies. And welcome to another episode of Lady Killers. I am Abraham. I hope everyone is doing as best they can out there right now. Uh, As this summer fades away, uh, we're all starting to make plans for this fall and beyond. Uh, Are we going to be sending our kids back to school? Have we all found a job yet? Is this virus ever going to go away? Who knows? All we can do is keep practicing our social distancing and just try to take each day as it comes at us, day-to-day basis, basically. Uh, I don't really have too much news this week. All I will say is that some of the people that were slated to work on my horror flick, Loon Lake, have started contacting me again. Initially, during the onset of this pandemic, it appeared as though most people, they weren't even, you know, going to want to move forward on the project with me. Um, But thankfully, uh, it appears as though I was wrong and people, they're wanting to work now more than ever. And uh, regardless of how we can do it safely, people just want to get out there and start working again. And I definitely understand that. I too want to be out there. Uh, I want to shoot this film. I want to scare the hell out of you people. So, uh, you know, as soon as we can safely start shooting, I'm going to be there. So let's try and stomp this virus down a little bit further and maybe we can proceed with that. But uh, yeah, like I say, just keep practicing social distancing and we'll be there in no time. But anyway, I believe that's all the news I really have for you this week. So let's start this podcast up, shall we? This is a podcast uh, that's about female killers. We call it lady killers and each one of the killers we refer to as our lady killer of the week. And uh, we're working our way through the 50 states in America. I've got uh, the rest of this month we will do and then take a short break uh, as this first season comes to a close. I will be homeschooling my children, as many of you out there will be doing the same. So uh, we'll probably be a little bit busy. I need to just kind of feel that out and and see how busy we're all going to be. And then I'll proceed with season two when... uh, when I have all the the free time to do so. I uh, should go ahead and put up a disclaimer this week for this episode. Uh, I feel whenever anything involving children in a sexual or violent manner, I believe a a warning should be given. I am pretty sensitive to it, and I know many of you out there are sensitive to it as well. So this is the warning. Uh, This episode contains violence and sexual abuse towards children. We find ourselves again this week taking a dive into the mind of a lady killer who was diagnosed multiple times with uh, paranoid schizophrenia and various other forms of schizophrenia. And uh, she hails from the great state of Pennsylvania and committed one of the worst acts that that state has ever seen. This week's lady killer is Sylvia Segrist. 
Sylvia Segrist was born July 31, 1960 in Crumlin, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb about 20 minutes southwest of Philadelphia. Right off the bat, as with most of our lady killers, the first thing noted in almost every account of Sylvia that I, that I was searching for regarding her past uh, was that she was molested and abused by her grandfather. According to Sylvia's mother, Ruth, her paternal grandfather used to touch her inappropriately and expose himself to her starting around the age of eight. He would also subject her to uh, being the witness to all sorts of lewd and disgusting behavior with other people. Uh, apparently, she had to sit by while her grandfather would participate in these sexual acts with various people that he, he brought to his home. You know, Ruth, her mother, wouldn't find out about all this until Sylvia was about 13 years old after the damage had already been done by that disgusting pig of a grandfather. At 15, Ruth said that Sylvia was smoking weed and sleeping around with most of the boys from the neighborhood. And by the time Sylvia was 16 years old, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia and hospitalized for treatment. Her hospitalizations would total 12 by the time she was even an adult. And every time she would be brought to the hospital, they would soon discharge her afterwards, claiming she was all better and she wasn't going to be a harm to anybody. She wouldn't be a harm to herself, anything like that. Uh, well... I don't know if I believe the other people part, uh, and we're about to find out how dangerous Sylvia actually was to others. When Sylvia finally turned 18 years old, she decided she wanted to enlist in the army, as many do. Uh, it was a terrible idea on her part, as she was verbally abused and bullied throughout her brief stay there in the army. Uh, the others treated her very unfairly, and she was made the butt of all of their jokes, most of them homophobic jokes. Uh, they called her derogatory names and making it clear that they all assumed she was a lesbian and that they did not approve of that. One instance was reported that fellow members of her platoon had set her up on a prank date with another female, basically letting Sylvia know that they assumed she was gay. Whether she was or not was never determined, but that's beside the fact that they were all bullying and tormenting her through her brief military stay which only lasted about two months in the army, and she was discharged for her unusual behavior. Apparently, she would go to the fitness club in her full fatigues, and she would just either sit there in the sauna or the spa, fully clothed, just oblivious to everyone around her. And one of the instructors at the fitness club was quoted as saying, quote, she hated everyone and would often talk about shooting and killing people, end quote. Sylvia was always seen as the strange one of the neighborhood. Her neighbors would talk about the odd things she would do. Uh, for instance, she would rake leaves in the middle of the night, always be blasting her music, no matter what time of day it was, day and night she'd be blasting it, and she would launch verbal assaults at anyone that was within earshot. She was also known to drink furniture polish, which could not have helped out her fragile mental state. I looked up the side effects of drinking such nasty chemicals, and uh, side effects usually are confusion, agitation, and possibly coma and death. Not to mention the brutality that would be brought down on your throat and stomach by drinking that stuff. 
it's a wonder she survived as long as she did, actually, by, uh, by doing that. Sylvia frequently paraded around the neighborhood in her army fatigues, uh, also wearing a beret and some combat boots. She would march up and down the steps of her apartment, spouting angry political propaganda, many of it directed towards Muslims and people from the Middle East. Uh, she was heard on many occasions saying that she wanted to fight as a guerrilla in Iran and that we all should be worried about this impending nuclear war that was about to happen. And all of this was done with the face, uh, as one man put it, quote, demon-possessed, end quote. Apparently people were very frightened of her whenever they would have their children around her because it was reported that Sylvia just hated kids with a passion. She really, really hated them. And uh, whenever she would walk by people with children, she would try to accost them. And so people were pretty frightened, and they would guard their children whenever they would pass by her. This militant approach to life and her love of warfare is what garnered her the nickname Ms. Rambo. Sylvia Segrist was known to frequent the Springfield Mall in Springfield, Pennsylvania, which was within walking distance of her home. She was a staple there, if you will. Uh, she was known by most people who frequented the mall as the resident, quote, loony. Uh, Ms. Rambo had many altercations, and she would flash her scary behavior whenever she was given the opportunity. She would launch into angry, verbal assaults at people, frightening them to the point of just changing directions whenever they would see Sylvia coming. And some people reported that even just the simplest of things would set her off. Uh, one person once said that she attacked her because Sylvia told her that her clothes were too bright. And, you know, all these inner monologues in Sylvia's head would just spill out into the real world, and this would confuse and scare people around her. And I think we've all seen that person in our town that we live in that uh, they just always seem to be there everywhere around town outside. Just always there, I mean, but for the most part, they stick to themselves and they stay out of view of the public and they generally don't harass people, at least in in my experiences, they don't harass people, but uh, Sylvia was different. She actually used to harass these patrons of the mall and threaten them every time they walked by her, so she she was definitely different and she definitely let her her actions come out more than many other people did. Now me, as, as someone who's very close to a schizophrenic person, I know how difficult that is to witness. Just to see, you know, I've seen it firsthand as others just torment and abuse them because of their affliction. I've also seen when the shoe's on the other foot and this schizophrenic just turns it all around and they become the agitator. Uh, for some reason, people think it's okay to poke fun at, uh, quote, crazy people. Uh, but when they... When those said crazy people return these barbs and when they start poking back, uh, start to chastise those that have been abusing them, you know, things change a little bit. And, uh, you know, they just people, I don't know, this world's a very difficult place to maneuver when you're diagnosed as schizophrenic and, you know, nobody seems to want to help you and you kind of feel like you're always on your own and you just, uh, that's why they, you know, seem to be in a different world at times because that's the world they need to live in. This, quote, normal world that we live in is just not something that they can handle. 
Sylvia often talked about spree killings whenever she would visit the mall and harass those people. She was heard often saying how, quote, good spree killings were, and she would often reference a particular spree killing from the previous year. In 1984, a shooter opened fire at a McDonald's in San Isidro, which is a neighborhood in San Diego, California, and this gunman, for an hour, just picked people off and shot at them inside that McDonald's. Uh, it was an hour of just terror and mayhem. 21 people were found shot to death while 19 others were wounded. The shooter's wife would later say that uh, her husband often voiced concern over his own sanity. And uh, Sylvia was very pleased with this incident and everyone knew about it. She let everyone know how happy she was. I just I don't know how she managed to praise this act of violence and terror without any consequences, without anybody thinking anything was wrong, you know. If she was the town's resident schizophrenic, as most people claimed, shouldn't they have kept an eye on her, made sure that she couldn't perpetrate a similar act as in California? Uh, she continued to just praise that mass shooting that was in California, and she should have been on everybody's radar, but simply she was just brushed aside. You know, she would never do anything like that, right? No, never. Even her own mother knew that her illness was progressively becoming worse, and she called on medical professionals for some help and uh, asked if they could lock her up, but they all claimed they couldn't lock up an adult that can make their own decisions for themselves. And as I mentioned before, that I do know a mentally ill person. Uh, they're very close to me, and the same thing happened with, with me. Uh, they seemed to be having an episode at one point, and it really seemed to be putting themselves in danger and definitely was scaring the people around them and making us feel like we were in danger. And, you know, we contacted the doctors at the hospital, and they they gave us the same information, the same line that they gave to Sylvia Segrist's mother. You know, according to most state laws, they can't just lock up an adult for no reason. And to us... It didn't appear to be no reason, you know, this person was agitated beyond control, uh, you know, switching between all the personalities in their head, you know, back and forth, you know, having these conversations, and I perceived it to be a danger to themselves and to others, but the state, they didn't see it that way, and we were told unless a violent act was committed, nothing could be done, and the exact same was done in the case of Sylvia. Her mother pleaded with the doctors, and she even penned a letter to the newspaper talking about what it was like living with an adult schizophrenic daughter. In her letter, she mentioned being fearful, and she wrote, quote, What do you need? Blood on the floor? End quote. So one of the local Kmart stores claimed that Sylvia Segrist came in one time looking to purchase a rifle. Since Sylvia's reputation preceded her pretty much everywhere she went, the clerk at the store told her that they were all out of stock on this rifle that she was looking for. Uh, this was not true. Obviously, they were kind of lying to her uh, just to dissuade her from seeking out a weapon in their store, something Sylvia clearly should never have possession of. Even later, the store manager would tell police that she looked, quote, ready to go to battle. So she left that Kmart without purchasing anything, and then she eventually wound up at another sporting goods store where she purchased a gun there. They allowed her to purchase it. She actually lied on her application for that gun, and there's a question on there that asks you if you have a history of mental illness. She checked no, and they gave her a gun. 
See how easy it is to get a gun in America, folks? And to think there are those of you out there that still don't feel like we need a complete overhaul of the whole damn system. This was in 1985. We're here now in the year 2020 here, and it's still pretty easy to obtain a gun in this country. Not much has changed in regards to that. Sylvia also tried to get a prescription for tranquilizers at the Rite Aid, which was located on the ground level inside the Springfield Mall. She was turned away because she didn't have her proper credentials on her to obtain those tranquilizers. And so she went home. Eventually she got, you know, the proper documentation and she returned to retrieve her drugs from the Rite Aid. And uh, many people think this particular incident is really what set Sylvia onto this deadly rampage that would follow. Since she was refused those drugs, even though she ended up getting them later on, that first moment where they denied it, that's what kind of just set her off, and she just began to lose her mind at that point. On October 30th, 1985, the anger and madness building up in Sylvia Segrist's schizophrenic mind finally came to a head. To the untrained eye, it seemed like a normal day was unfolding for Sylvia. She did some Halloween shopping at a party store, uh, you know, that was in the mall there for the holiday the next day. And then she went and worked out at the fitness center and then returned to the Springfield Mall driving in her little Datsun. She pulled into a parking spot and shut the engine off. I can imagine she checked herself in the mirror one last time smoothing out her army fatigues, making sure her black combat boots were on tight and shined up. She reached behind her seat, grabbed hold of that 22 rifle that she had come into contact with, and she checked to make sure it was loaded. She checked her pockets, making sure she had enough extra ammo to go carry out this mission that she was on. Sylvia Segrist arose from her vehicle and aimed her rifle at the first person she saw, there was a man about 30 yards away from her by the name of Edward Seats. She fired at him without even hesitating. Thankfully, she missed him completely. And then she proceeded to march on towards the entrance of the mall in a trance. Edward Seats, who barely missed losing his life, went over to the little Dotson and slashed one of the tires to ensure that Sylvia would not have a getaway vehicle if she would need it later on. And then Sylvia took aim at a woman that was using a nearby ATM. She missed her as well. So frustrated at her terrible aim, she pointed the rifle at a, a larger family that was waiting to be seated at a nearby restaurant, and she fired her weapon again into that crowd. This time, one of those bullets did find flesh. It would instantly kill a little two-year-old Recife Kosman as the bullet lodged into his tiny little heart. Sylvia then popped off a few more rounds at that same family and hit two of Recife's cousins that were aged 10 and 9, two little girls. And those little girls would end up surviving the onslaught but were, were injured badly in the process. But Sylvia, she didn't even bat an eye. She continued to just march forward towards those front doors of the Springfield Mall. Sylvia fired that 22 into various stores as she made her way down the walkway, sending the products flying from the shelves left and right. The reports later on would show that witnesses thought at first that the mall was putting on some sort of publicity stunt for the 
for the Halloween holiday that was going to be the next day. And uh, they thought they were just being treated to some free entertainment, you know, some lots of things like that happen at the mall around Halloween time. So a lot of people kind of were oblivious, not paying attention until they started to see the pools of blood forming on the ground and all the frightening screams of those panicked patrons as they scattered for their lives. Sylvia clipped a few victims, sending them crashing to the hard mall floor. Others scattered as soon as they heard the gunfire, unsure of what was even happening. Today, it kind of sucks because there have been so many shootings to date that, you know, we hear a balloon pop in a mall and we're, we're down on the floor because, you know, it's become such a common place for a shooting in public that, you know, we're so inured to it now. Uh, but back then in 1985, it was not something that happened as much as it happens now. And so all these panicked people of Springfield are darting back and forth. There was an older man by the name of Earl Trout who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He stepped out of the entrance to one of the stores. He had no idea what was even happening. And he was greeted by a bullet from Sylvia's rifle. He fell to the tiled floor and slowly started to bleed out. Mr. Trout would die a few days later in the hospital. Sylvia then trained her weapon on another elderly gentleman by the name of Augusto Ferrara, and she took him out like she was just simply following her army superior's order and just eliminating a target on the battlefield. And Augusto, not as fortunate as the others, he also would die, but he died instantly at the mall there. And just before Sylvia could pull the trigger and ruin another life, local hero graduate student and volunteer firefighter John Laufer snatched the rifle from her tense hands as it was focusing between his eyes. He then forcefully grabbed Sylvia and detained her while he waited for the authorities to arrive. Later on, John Laufer would claim he didn't even know Sylvia was shooting live ammo. You know, he too thought it was some sort of stunt for the Halloween holiday. He was just there with his girlfriend checking out the mall he saw the rifle point at his face, and he just reacted cool and collected, like he was taking a toy from a child. And I think he was just simply downplaying his heroic, heroic efforts, if you ask me. I mean, when the authorities finally arrived, John and his girlfriend, seeing that they had the situation under control, just raced out into the carnage and started to tend to the wounded, and they saved a few more lives in the process. And those are those are the goddamn heroes, if if you ask me, I mean, those are the people we need in our society. I know I heard it said, uh, may sound cheesy, but I think it was uh, Stan Lee, uh, comic book master. He said, we, we know who the heroes are. When, when everyone's running away from tragedy in a terrible situation, those people that are running into it to battle it and fight it, those are the heroes. And, you know, John Lawfer and his girlfriend were heroes in that, in that particular instance. It took all of five minutes for Sylvia Segrist to blast off a total of 15 shots from that 22 rifle. After the smoke cleared, 10 people had been wounded and 3 people had succumbed to their injuries. When a security guard asked Sylvia why she did what she did, she simply replied, quote, My family makes me nervous. End quote. As the reports started rolling in throughout the small town, you know, these reports of a shooting taking place at the mall, 
most of the people instantly knew who the perpetrator was before any of the names were even released. Sylvia Segrist had just been the assailant who had committed the worst shooting at that time in the Philadelphia area. As officers cuffed her and took her away, she told them to, quote, just shoot me now, end quote. She was taken into custody and sat nervously to await questioning from authorities. That evening, around 8 o'clock, Sylvia Segrist was arraigned in court. She showed up barefoot, and authorities claimed she was extremely difficult to deal with leading up to the arraignment. She barked at photographers and reporters who were clearly there just for, you know, a juicy soundbite. And that's exactly what they got when Sylvia glared at all of them and yelled out, quote, just shoot me now, end quote. Sylvia stood in front of District Justice Joseph DiPietro as he read her charges of two counts of murder, attempted murder, aggravated assault, possession of an instrument of crime, and carrying a gun without a license. Awaiting her preliminary hearing, Sylvia would be held in jail without bail. When asked if Sylvia had anything to say about her actions, she sneered at the judge and said, quote, Fuck you. I hope you starve, motherfucker. I don't like that feeling, but that's the way it is. End quote. He also asked her simple questions like her age, phone number, address, that sort of thing, which she just rattled on and on for her phone number, which was way too many digits to even make up a phone number. And, uh, you know, she told the judge she wished she had never been born and that her parents used to beat her. After the judge had finished reading her charges, all she could say was, quote, Do you have a black box? That is my testimony. End quote. I'm not sure what it even means, and I'm pretty sure nobody in the court knew what it meant at that time either. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the mind of a schizophrenic. They, they have their own monologue and they have their own narrative going on. And so we can't possibly understand what was going through her mind. In any event, her preliminary hearing was set for November 7th, which was one week later. People seemed to be pretty baffled at her responses in that first court appearance. So Sylvia's mother, Ruth, came forward and, you know, she had already given interviews to some reporters in which she gave the, the rundown of Sylvia's frame of mind at that time. She told them all about the hospitalizations and her diagnosis, but nobody was prepared for the hatred and vitriol that spewed from her mouth. Ruth mentioned that in the past few days, Sylvia had been acting a little strange and a little more agitated than usual, uh, possibly already having lost touch with reality yet again. She said that Sylvia tried to strangle her the previous year, which she was institutionalized briefly, but just as quickly she was let go, all following the laws of the state of Pennsylvania. And according to Ruth, all of these acts that Sylvia was committing were usually a pretty good indication that she had gone off her meds. And this is something we have discussed, I believe it was last episode we discussed, going off your medication. And, you know, once someone goes off their medication, all bets are off. Sylvia was asked by her mother to go turn herself into a hospital to get treatment. And that was shortly before the rampage began. But Sylvia told her that she would rather go to jail then go back into a hospital. And this is also something that other lady killers have said on our podcast here, that they'd rather go to jail and die than wither away in a mental institute. Um, that just doesn't say much about the conditions inside our mental hospitals around the nation. Uh, 
Another thing that definitely, definitely needs to be looked at. Former roommates of Sylvia also came forward after that initial appearance in court to let everyone know that this was a seriously sick individual that they were dealing with. Nobody could live with her for any period of time, which is why Sylvia lived all alone. Her paranoid delusions made it extremely difficult for anyone to get along with her. She had been evicted from at least one apartment due, her, due to her overly aggressive behavior. And all those people that lived with her in the past claimed that they were frightened by Sylvia and that the living conditions were just a total nightmare when they lived with her. Ruth had experienced the violence from her daughter on many occasions, so she knew what Sylvia was capable of. The problem is, either nobody ever listened to Ruth, or, you know, Sylvia would be released from the hospital shortly after being admitted. Like, they kind of just, it was like a revolving door, in and out. Get a little bit more medication, maybe just sleep it off for a couple days, and then you go back out into society. Once she showed no more violent tendencies... She would immediately be let go because state law tells the hospitals to do so. Doctors had already told Ruth that Sylvia couldn't be committed against her own volition and that she could only be committed after a violent act had been carried out. Well, doctors, there you go. A violent act had finally been committed. Are you happy now? These are just a small fraction of the issues that need to be addressed before a very serious overhaul of the entire mental health system needs to take place. I mean, it's just, I don't know. You can't wait for a violent act to happen. If you feel like it could possibly happen sometime in the future, it's your job to step in and keep that from happening. But, you know, state laws say you don't need to do that. So, you know, if you want to keep your job and keep your business up and running, you need to listen to the state. A closed hearing took place at the Mayview State Hospital near Pittsburgh, where all of these things were discussed among the doctors there. They took into consideration all of her actions leading up to the massacre, and after mulling over their options, they decided to have her committed there and to have her preliminary hearing postponed indefinitely. Throughout this case, the Pennsylvania mental health system definitely took some pretty huge blows, and they were placed under a microscope for everybody to, to see. People were, were just irate over their previous handling of Sylvia Segrist. The health department had known of Sylvia since she was about 15 years old, so they knew possibly what she was capable of. Uh, it was revealed that five years prior to the rampage, Sylvia actually had stabbed one of her counselors in the back with a paring knife, and that was while she was being evaluated at Tri-County Fountain... Tri-County... Fountain Center in Lansdowne. Within weeks, Sylvia was already back in society, freely walking around and back harassing people. The victim, in that case, the counselor that was stabbed in the back by Sylvia, she pleaded for Sylvia to remain behind bars. She didn't feel that Sylvia was well enough to be out in society walking around anymore, but state law, again. And apparently Sylvia had ranted to that counselor at one point. You know, she declared she would one day obtain a gun and shoot a bunch of people. But these violent threats went ignored like many other things that Sylvia said. Even a few months before she went on her deadly rampage, Sylvia had called one of her psychiatrists to talk about how she was feeling, 
which was extremely anxious and possibly leaning towards some violent thoughts and some violent tendencies. Instead of bringing her in for further evaluation, like they should have, that person just gave her a new prescription for her medication, which they called into the Rite Aid at the Springfield Mall, which was the epicenter of the massacre. And instead of taking her mental state seriously, they just brushed it under the rug like so many times before, threw the medication at her, and, uh, you know, she was just turned loose, which is what always happened with Sylvia Segris. She would be turned loose every single time she committed a violent act. Did, did the officials at any of those hospitals really think that she would rehab herself out in society when they knew what she was capable of? Her mother, Ruth, told everyone that Sylvia opposed the drugs they gave her and she would skip out on her doses on many occasions. And we have seen in past lady killers what can happen when that medication is ignored. I have seen it firsthand and it isn't pretty. When someone refuses to take their medication, that person is no longer the same person that you think they are. It's a total Jekyll and Hyde situation. Uh, and that's no different in this case with Sylvia Segrist. For the next few months, Sylvia would undergo intense psych examinations to determine her competency level and whether or not she understood what had transpired and also if she understood the gravity of her actions. They monitored her closely to see if she would be able to stand trial, to see if she understood the charges that were being brought against her, and also to see if she would be able to participate in her own defense. Initially, she was declared incompetent to stand trial, but then she was passed to another facility for further evaluation, and then another one, and then another one. And I tried to keep track of how many medical facilities that Sylvia was transferred to, you know, during this whole process of testing for competency and I got tripped up and lost during the process. Uh, they just seemed to keep passing the buck on. Nobody wanted to take responsibility for Sylvia and her well-being, so uh, they just kept passing her around. And finally, on March 8, 1986, after she was observed and diagnosed by the doctors at Norristown State Hospital, which is near Philadelphia, she was finally declared competent to stand trial. Doctors, they advised everyone that were going to be involved in this trial, that Sylvia was competent at that exact moment that they're talking about, that moment exactly to stand trial, but that could possibly change before the trial commenced or possibly even during the trial itself. And as Sylvia sat in the court during her preliminary trial, she just sat there scribbling and doodling on a piece of paper, trying to keep herself occupied, uh, I'm sure nobody thought anything of it at the time until Sylvia's defense team acquired this paper that she had been writing on and expecting to see scribbles and maybe some incoherent lines and doodles here and there. They actually saw some coherent words written on the paper. To further iterate Sylvia's state of mind, the defense submitted this paper into evidence. On it was written, quote, the end of commerce, the end of post office, and the end of money with an exclamation point at the end. The defense told the judge they would be seeking an insanity defense since she had repeatedly been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and that that was clearly the cause of her mental collapse and the subsequent murderous rampage in the mall. On June 18, 1986, opening statements in the trial of Sylvia Segrist commenced. She was being brought up on three charges of murder and 
and seven counts of attempted murder and assault. William H. Ryan Jr. was prosecutor in the case, and he alleged that Sylvia had planned out the entire attack, and she did it all to gain attention. The defense countered with stories of past abuse at the hands of family members, a total collapse of the mental health system, and Sylvia's long history of mental illness diagnoses. One security guard from the mall testified that he had seen Sylvia on many occasions at the mall, and she was usually acting erratically and strange. On the day of the massacre, after she was handcuffed, he said she was incoherent and kept babbling about a black box and negative energy. To the untrained eye, this would seem like incoherence, which for me, initially, sounded like incoherence. But Sylvia actually, she owned a black box that was at home. And it contained a Russian dictionary that she was working on translating. And this must have been the black box that she was referring to while she was in court. Um, I know it still probably doesn't make sense to most of us. And in her mind, everything that she spoke of made sense. Like I said, I mean, things that make sense to uh, a mentally ill person might not make sense to us. But we need to uh, find a middle ground. We need to find a way to... To see that their world, although strange to us, is normal to them. And, you know, that same security guard te also testified that Sylvia, after she was detained, she declared she knew what she had done, she knew it was wrong, and that she should be shot for it. But, uh, you know, people without schizophrenia just don't understand what we're dealing with here. You know, we see a person who seems to be having a conversation entirely with with themselves or some sort of invisible entity maybe and we automatically want to classify them as quote crazy and i feel we just need a better understanding better education maybe to understand these people uh what they're what they're doing is normal in their mind and they don't know any difference to them we're the crazy people many witnesses that were present at the mall during the rampage got up on the stand to testify for the prosecution. They relayed the horrific incident through their waterfalls of tears and intensely graphic depictions. Prosecutor Ryan brought up the fact that Sylvia had joined a gun club just six months prior to the massacre at the mall. He paired that fact with the statements Sylvia had made upon her arrest, which he felt painted a clear picture of her intent that day. Another seemingly incriminating piece of evidence was the fact that Sylvia Segrist also visited a lawyer the day before the horror show in the mall. Why would she do that? Her reason for that visit was to draw up her last will and testament, almost as if she anticipated her untimely death in the near future. But the defense had a game to play as well. So they brought Sylvia's mother Ruth Segrist to the stand to talk about Sylvia's past. Ruth relayed all the information in detail about how Sylvia's grandfather used to masturbate in front of her when she was only eight years old. Apparently, he also acted out various sexual, sexual positions in front of her, and by the time she was 15, she had already been diagnosed schizophrenic and institutionalized about 15 times. Ruth talked of the bizarre behavior she would exhibit on a daily basis, uh, some things she would do, shaving her entire head, all the hair off her head. She would spray paint her entire body and she would write hateful and violent messages on her bedroom walls. And one time, 
Her mother found messages written on the wall. Uh, some said, quote, kill them all, and, quote, I hate you. In addition to Sylvia's mother, the defense also brought three medical professionals to the stand. They all agreed that Sylvia's mental condition didn't allow her to fully understand what she had done. Sylvia had told these doctors that she went to the mall to put a bunch of people out of their misery. Because like her, she felt that most of them never wanted to be born in the first place, so she could take care of that for them. And in addition to Sylvia playing God, she also wanted to create a scenario to kind of test out the emergency medical personnel's response. So she said she was giving them uh, practice for their rescue skills. She was creating a disturbance to call emergency medical personnel out there. Strange, but you know, like I say, we don't we don't know what's going on inside of a, a schizophrenic's mind. She also said that you know, all in all, by doing what she did at the mall, this would somehow make the army proud of her, and she'd be elevated to the prominent status of rampage killer. And then you know. She would eventually find her place in this life. I think it sounds like she knew what she was doing, but, you know, she was also a diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic who might have been off her medication for quite some time. Nobody knows. And it's like I said before, you know, without a steady and consistent supply of medication and treatment, it, it all turns into a Jekyll and Hyde situation. And you, you think you know someone until the medication goes bye-bye, and then you find yourself frightened for your own life. Trust me on that one. I know. In total, four doctors agreed that Sylvia's actions were completely delusional. Prosecutor Ryan countered the defense's team of doctors with one of their own by the name of Dr. Park Dietz. He claimed Sylvia knew exactly what she was doing, and she probably only suffered from a mild case of bipolar disorder rather than schizophrenia. The fact that she took a gun course, bought a gun and methodically picked off her victims was enough to show that she was totally sane during the attack. Add to this that she confessed to the guard afterwards, claiming to know exactly what she did, and even ask, you know, she was asked to, to be killed on the spot for what she had done. The defense reiterated that she was mentally ill and couldn't fit into a society that wasn't very accepting of mentally ill people. She hadn't been able to succeed and prosper like so many other people around her, so she blamed society, and she took it all into her own hands in a way that she felt was right. It definitely wasn't right, but in her mind, it was the only solution. In closing, the defense posed four options for the jury to deliberate over. Guilty, not guilty, guilty but mentally ill, or not guilty by reason of insanity. And it seemed as though the jury had their work cut out for them. But a mere nine hours later, they had already come up with a verdict for Sylvia Segrist. After a quick eight-day trial, Sylvia Segrist was found guilty but mentally ill for the rampage at Springfield Mall. She was given three consecutive life sentences for the murderous terror that she rained down on all those innocent patrons of the mall. She was also given 10 years for each of the seven counts of attempted murder. Silvio was immediately sent to a local hospital for evaluation and eventually winding up at the State Correctional Institution in Muncie, Pennsylvania. 
A civil lawsuit would follow in October of 1987. The family of the victims and those people that were victims of the shooting came forward to allege a gross negligence against the owners of the mall. They also were suing the Haverford State Hospital, the police department, a mental health counselor, and one of the corporations that uh, owned some of the businesses in the mall. They alleged that none of those people took the proper precautions to ensure the safety of the community. Previous episodes of anger and violence on Sylvia's part were brought forward as evidence. Those that had previously been accosted by or harassed by Sylvia in the past, they came forward to testify in that civil lawsuit. It was also brought up that uh, she had an obsession over that mass shooting at the McDonald's in San Isidro, California. And apparently she wanted to commit an act as that shooter did. She even visited her local fast food establishment one time declaring, quote, I'm going to blow you all away, end quote. She then formed a gun with her fingers and proceeded to fake shoot everyone around the restaurant. And when security guards finally had enough with her, they escorted her out of the building while she ranted and spewed, quote, what happened in California was good. It should happen again. End quote. Sounds like a pretty clear indication uh, of what was sure to come. In February of 1990, the plaintiffs in that civil case were awarded damages by the jury. They believe that those being sued clearly should have been protecting the customers and the community a little bit better than they had been. They would eventually settle out of court for an undisclosed amount of money, though rumors, like they do, spread about and they claim that the uh, it was in the ballpark, ballpark of about $3 million. The case of Sylvia Segrist frightened the community even after she was locked up. If someone that vicious and violent can be in and out of psychiatric facilities at least a dozen times and then be released into the public to do what she did, what says someone else wouldn't do the same? Doctors claim that their hands were tied because of state laws that were in place. You know, someone cannot be committed against their own will if they're of age. In this case, Sylvia Segrist was old enough to make her own decisions. Medications were prescribed to her. So, in their mind, she had everything she needed to get better. But nobody's there to enforce the administering of those drugs. You know, medical professionals also can't predict when and where someone's going to snap and lose their focus on reality. So many factors come into play, and each individual is exactly that, an individual. Each person must be taken on a case-by-case basis, and each one needs to be evaluated for any risks that they pose against themselves or others. And Sylvia Segrist just wasn't seen as a big enough risk to lock her away and keep her comatose in a facility for the rest of her life. They felt for some odd reason that she could still benefit society. Nobody imagined in their wildest nightmares what she was actually capable of. None of us ever are. I mean, people snap. There's a TV show called Snapped. You never know when somebody's just going to decide to do something to alter the course of many, many lives. In 1991, after a few years of treatments with medication and therapy, it appeared as though Sylvia Segrist had stabilized in her behavior. She claimed she no longer held any anger inside of her, and uh, she wasn't paranoid whatsoever anymore. 
All the delusions that flooded her mind had magically vanished and gave way to remorse for what she had done. And she said every single year on the anniversary of her tragic act, she gets extremely sad and remorseful. She claimed she didn't even realize how sick, how sick she actually was during that massacre until she had been locked up a few years and put on, you know, medication. In 1991, she was asked again why she did what she did, and she answered it was because she was scared that her mother was going to have her committed permanently. She also said she hated the way the medication made her feel and all the massive side effects of the drugs. She hated gaining weight. She hated the loss of muscle control and even the minor loss of sight that she had. These were all side effects of the drugs she was on. She... This is what she claimed that was all happening when she was taking the drugs back in the mid-80s. In 1991, she said the new medication she was on didn't have any of those side effects. She was ready to be let back out into society because she wanted to become a lawyer. She claimed all her violent fantasies had vanished into thin air like magic. By 1994, Sylvia had nearly completed a college degree while being incarcerated. She was also teaching math to her fellow inmates, and she seemed to be improving with each passing day. By taking her medications, she was balanced, and she was the person that she was supposed to be in life. The only reason, though, is because she was locked up in jail, and she was forced to be medicated. Sylvia's mother, Ruth, became an advocate for mental health awareness after that gruesome massacre at the Springfield Mall. She used examples of her own daughter, how she was before the rampage and how she was after the rampage. Before the massacre, she was violent, aggressive, and impulsive. You could never know what to expect with her, she said. But after her incarceration and being put on proper meds, her life improved drastically. It's just, it's, it's just a shame that it took that horrific and violent act to get Sylvia the proper help she needed. And I think more people like Sylvia's mother, Ruth, need to speak out about the mental health crisis. The laws in place just don't make any sense. Mentally ill people, according to the state, they're supposed to check themselves into the hospitals all on their own. You know, nobody can do it for them. If they're an adult, they need to check themselves in. The only forced treatment comes after the patient commits a violent act to themselves or others. I mean, how much time do we have? We can't wait around for these violent acts to occur if we think they might be violent we need to nip that in the bud right then these people don't know they're sick when they're off their medication so how can they be expected to go seek out the help all by themselves like i told you before it's normal up in their in their noggin up there this is all normal and we are the abnormal people so why would they go check themselves where they know they're going to be locked up and forced to be on medication why are they going to go do that to themselves they're not going to it's you know it's a flawed system as are many institutes in america and uh, that's something we're all learning on a daily basis now in our new america sylvia segrist will never see the light of day at least that's what the state of pennsylvania has assured the public her case should have opened the eyes of the legislators in washington dc but Obviously it hasn't. Just look at look at how many mass shootings there have been since 1985. It's an extremely difficult issue, I understand that, but it needs to be addressed and something needs to change. Those who suffer from a mental illness, they're seen as a plight on society 
rather than a human being that can live a pretty productive life if they're given a chance, if they're given proper medication and treatment, they can live a, a happy and fulfilling life. They're just they're, they're mis one of the most misunderstood group of people that are out there. We don't know what they're capable of doing. They themselves don't entirely know what they're capable of doing either. And I get it. I understand people's trepidation and I see why people get scared as they pass by somebody might be mumbling to themselves or playing in the mud or many times I've seen people playing with their own feces on the street. That scares people and I understand that. Um, I've been punched in the face. I've been spit on. I've been growled out by the multiple entities that are inside the mind of a mentally ill person. When that person is confronted later on, no recollection whatsoever of doing that to me. So, you know, Sylvia said it herself. She didn't realize how sick she actually was until she was imprisoned. And she was forced into a structured environment with proper medication. It's not until then that she realized she was very, very sick when she committed that crime. Ruth says she hasn't been in contact with her daughter Sylvia since 2002. She had sent her a letter in prison, but at that time Sylvia had finally decided to cut all ties with her family, and so she never responded to the letter that her mother sent her. Today, Sylvia is a 60-year-old woman, still locked behind those bars in a prison cell that probably should have been bars on a window in a mental facility. Sylvia still relives that atrocious act she committed almost 35 years ago. She actually does feel remorse and regret for her actions that day. And she relives it every time that anniversary comes up each year. She understands it's, it's something she's going to have to live with until she dies, which most likely is going to be in that prison in Muncie. And that is the case of Sylvia Segrist from Pennsylvania. I want to thank you all for listening this week. Please check out our production website at 1129productions.com for more information. Uh, anything about our latest projects will be on there. Please send an email to theladykillerspod at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Maybe you, you all out there have a lady killer in mind that we could discuss on a future episode. I will also leave a link for you all to help support the podcast if you feel so inclined. The donations are appreciated more than you could possibly know. But either way, this podcast will remain free for all of you, regardless of whether people support it or not. So there you have it. Uh, another week has passed, and uh, we're still looking at a bleak future in this country. Uh, this, this virus isn't going anywhere anytime soon, so we all need to do our part to help slow the spread. Rather than going out and spreading the virus, uh, why not try and spend some time at home with the family? You don't really need to be out on those beaches or at the bar right now anyway. Uh, what I've found my family and I doing recently, we've been playing a lot of Uno, the card game, and uh, my kids like Connect Four. So we're going, we're going old school. I know it sounds boring and lame, but uh, it's those simple things that keep you going during this time. Maybe it's time for all you to go a little old school as well if that's an option for you. Maybe you should go check on a neighbor if you haven't already, uh, especially the elderly and the vulnerable out there that don't have the access like some other people do. We, just, we need to keep fighting this thing as a group. It's hard to fight individually. We need to team up. Just fight this thing off. Shower each other with love, not hate.
And as the amazing, beautiful human being Maya Angelou once said, quote, hate, it has caused a lot of problems in the world, but has not solved one yet, end quote. Stay safe, my friends. Be healthy. Wash your hands. Wear that mask, and I will see you next time. I am your host, Abraham Archambeau. I hope you have sweet dreams. Oh, my God.